Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we are incredibly fortunate to have Sarah Buxton joining us. And Sarah's a director at FTA Law. She's the dental guru on all things employment and HR and a fitness fanatic. So how are you, Sarah? Good morning. Hi, Sarah. I'm great. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for the nice introduction. No, not at all. No, thank you for joining us. I know it's, uh, it's been a busy morning for you already. Dental guru. That's not a title to live up to, is it, Flip? But hey, you've you've definitely acquired it. I tell you, for the HR law, especially. Yeah, it makes a ch- it makes a bit of a change from uh, furlough queen. <laughs> See, I I go dental guru. I think dental guru wins yeah. hands down, doesn't, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. But in fairness, you are the furlough queen as well. And I'm sure we'll get onto that in our in our chat as we go. Um, so you obviously you know qualified solicitor. You've been a solicitor for a number of years. But rolling back to the very beginning. Um, did you always want to be a solicitor? How did you end up kind of choosing choosing to get into the law? Um, yeah, it was always on my agenda from being quite young that I wanted to be a solicitor. Um, I wasn't particularly good at the sciences um, and I certainly didn't like the sight of blood. Um, so the medical route of being a dentist just it wasn't for me. Um, and I love reading. Uh, I always loved my books. I loved English. Um, so it seemed quite... Um, it, it seemed like the route to go down. So from quite a young age, I had I had an interest in it. Um, did lots of work experience in law firms to see what it was like before I actually um, committed. Was that easier back um, then, Sarah? Because degree. now, now I think quite often people find it hard to get that kind of first level experience. Was it quite easy to get work experience back then? Um, no, I, d- I don't think it, it's it's changed. I mm. think it's always been quite difficult to mm. get into the legal industry. Um, I think I was incredibly lucky um, that um, I um, a law firm in Leeds City Centre gave me an opportunity to go and shadow um, a solicitor for two weeks. But it, wow. it's not easy, and it's still not easy. So um, I do feel quite sorry for the people that are coming through nowadays mm. because how old have uh, you been then Sarah it's still quite difficult how old would you be um, I was the 16 when, I, when wow wow when when I did shadowing I was 16 yes mm. yeah that's quite unusual in many ways isn't it because lots of people they they don't know that early what mm. it is they want to do you know so for somebody of your age mm. to have already worked out that you know you like English you like words the law might be something for you you get lots of people who even yeah. in their early mid-20s still just don't really know what it is that yeah. drives and what they're interested in must have been quite intimidating almost yeah, no, you know. I think, yeah I think um I don't know if I was intimidated to go and do the shadowing. I really enjoyed it. And the, um, the, the solicitor who, who, um, I shadowed did look after me, um, and helped me. And I'll always be grateful to them because I think if it wasn't for, for them, I probably wouldn't have carried it on. But, um, I, th- it's difficult because I think when I was looking at doing A-levels and what I wanted to do at university, because law is a vocational degree, I had to be sure that it 
was what I wanted mm. to do mm. before I committed to it because you can change if you want to go into the law if you do a general degree but it's much harder and takes much longer um to do that so I just wanted to be sure that I was going down the the correct route and hence why I set out to do some work experience at 16. And out of interest I, I, I credit a guy when I worked in the bank who changed my future because he sort of said you could either continue being a complete bit of a waster having a good time or you could actually you know focus so you, you didn't take the advice no no i didn't bother i just thought i'll have a laugh i'll tell you it'd be great um but do you keep in contact or have you been in contact with that solicitor since then um it, it's funny actually um i didn't keep in contact on a regular basis but a couple of years ago um i was stood in a sandwich shop on my lunch um <laughs> queuing up um and um i saw him um and i said oh excuse me oh, and and just went into detail and he was like oh i'm so glad to hear from you and that you're doing well and everything else so um oh, the lovely. legal industry's quite quite small i suppose especially if you work in Leeds city center because all the mm -hmm. legal offices tend to be in the same area um so yeah it was uh, yes i did bump into them a few years ago oh well I guess there's some parallels in some ways with dentists as well, because it's both, they're both professional careers. You both have to make a decision on what path you're going down fairly early on. You know, in dentistry, I guess it's more science led. Mm. And then you have to commit to this five years of learning. So there's, whilst, you know, you, you, you spend all your time kind of supporting the dental profession, professionally, there is kind of a parallel between the decisions you had to make quite early on and the path you went mm. on and what a young person who is thinking mm. about being a dentist would have to do. Oh, absolutely. And I, I still see those parallels today um, in, in so much that the legal profession and the dental profession are very similar in the way that they're regulated um, and mm -hmm. that we have the um, similar issues in that lots of lawyers are trained to um, do the law and advise and so on, but may not be uh, trained at, at, on the business side or the marketing side. And that's the same with dentists. Dentists are trained to be a good dentist, but don't always have the external training to help run a business. And it's exactly mm. the same for lawyers. So uh, the parallels continue. Um, I still see them today. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've kind of, you kind of got qualified and then you, you sort of, you know, you employment and HR, which is your, your specialty. And I know that as a, as a sector, yeah. you know, we've done presentations together and it always makes me laugh because you always refer to property and you always say, you know, you've got the landlord and tenant at 1954, <laughs> you know, that hasn't changed for so many years and employment changed yesterday. And it's going to change tomorrow. It always makes me giggle that how much employment and HR changes, but. I guess it, with the best will in the world and with a, with a crystal ball, you've never had any idea that the employment and HR issues coming down the line in the last couple of years were going to be so massive. So from a, from a professional point of view, has the last couple of years been quite challenging? I mean, I just think of the, word, the one word furlough has, has got massive implications in itself. But for you as an employment and HR specialist, what's the last couple of years been like for you? I, I guess it's been relentless. Um, yes, um, I yeah, I think that's a good word <laughs> to use, relentless. Um, I think, um, yeah, employment law has always been 
uh, fast moving um and um it changes because of the 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 common law system that we have in place so when there's a new case that goes through the court system that can change our interpretations of the statutes um it's also fairly new law co- compared to property which was like you rightly said um you know some of those statutes have, uh, were drafted and in, in, in the 50s as employment's fairly new a lot of it came from the eu um and the discrimination legislation for example you're looking at um the seven it was 2010 when it was all accumulated together so it's still fairly new but i think what's happened over the last two years mm. is although as an employment lawyer we've been used to um fast moving legislation and changing our advice and keeping on top of it what made it more difficult is the fact that the legislation or the changes that the uh, government were bringing out um wasn't well thought out um so when legislation it takes years to to think about and to write and to consult on it they were making quite snap decisions um they would always announce those decisions at five o'clock on a friday evening um when everybody's shutting down for the weekend to come into to play on monday morning um and um there was never any full answers to a lot of the questions that people had so often we could give our opinion um on how we would interpret that legislation but it was unprecedented and we didn't know because nothing had gone through the court system to give us the answers mm. and a lot of it still hasn't gone through the court system to give us the answers so we were doing our best um to interpret that legislation but i just feel as though a lot of it was very ill thought out and that made it hard um to mm. try and then advise clients mm. Mm. And, and i guess because it was such a fast moving mm. period and to do it on the hoof it right? was wasn't it and yeah it's, it's, yeah it's just an observation as opposed to defending anybody i just don't think there was time to to kind of think it through properly i think it literally was just one day they came up with something and said, well, we'll do it this way. I remember listening to some guy, I can't remember, he was either a QC or something when furlough had just been introduced. And he sort of said, there's no real relevance in the word. And he said, we could call it chocolate bunny or something. Mm. He said, but this whole word then has now taken on this whole meaning of its own. He said, but it was a Mm. whole brand new thing that they started. Yeah. I mean, just one thing, Sarah, what made you choose to go into HR as opposed to all the other parts of law that you could go into? Was there something that sort of drove you to say, no, I want to be HR law? Um, um, well, I suppose, uh, uh, well, when I qualified at the time, um, we were on the cusp of, of, of a recession. So some areas were just not going to be available. They didn't, law firms don't take on property lawyers or corporate lawyers, for example, um, because when there's a recession, usually that type of work decreases. So, um, but with mm. employment, employment's quite, uh, well, the employment lawyers are needed in a recession because people look right at maybe redundancies or what required. Mm. So um, I'd in my training contract, I'd done employment, I enjoyed it, um, and there was an opportunity to be an employment solicitor. Um, so I took that opportunity. So it, it, I, I, kind of, I suppose it, it chose me rather than I chose it, but I'm glad I, I, yeah. I do enjoy what I do so with it. Hmm. And you're very good at it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
but also I think credit to you as well. You know, we we, we were just talking about kind of you know furlough and, and that, but to do what you did, which was to kind of put yourself forward and you know sit on webinar after webinar and sharing your insights is is a brave thing to do because there was a real lack of of depth to what was being talked about. It was all brand new stuff. And you you were having to give your opinions and thoughts on where you thought it was going um, without having the time to sit and, you know, read and digest and look at case law because there wasn't any. And that's kind of a very solicitory thing to do. Mm. So to put yourself forward and kind of share insights and and be there to support the profession, quite rightly, um, you've got the, the, the profile and the rewards for that. I don't think a lot of people would have had the confidence yeah. to have done so it's a confidence yeah thing, i think in the fact of being able to to step out because as you said you didn't really have any any historical case law to rely upon and you're probably you were thinking on the hoof as much as anybody one else but doing it in a logical way yeah yeah well i suppose um i i, I suppose it was special because it was during the pandemic and it was more um mm. Uh, strenuous and like we, we've already said there wasn't the the ability to rely on case law um, but what we do every day as solicitors is, is interpret legislation and give our opinion on it so I didn't feel too much outside of my comfort zone doing it and also I, I did want to help um, I think it was incredibly mm. difficult <clears throat> for the practice owner the practice manager and the entire team um and i knew that i had a a a skill where i would be able to help people um try and um get through Mm. uh, the pandemic um and that was really important um to be able to to give back uh, to the profession in a time when they really needed some assistance well you were everywhere have you ever added up how many webinars you've done (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've probably done more webinars than I've slept in the last two years. <laughs> well, I, I, I remember that. Do you remember that there was one, we, we did a webinar, I think it was just a, a, a meeting online. I can't remember about something. I think it was probably just seeing how, what we would, what everyone was doing. And I think we were like one of four or five that you'd, you'd had slotted in. And I think, you know, a lot of them are in the evening, aren't they? You know, mm. seven o'clock or whatever. And I think it's a huge drain on your time. You must have been webinared out. So it'd be fascinating to know how many you did, you know, have you done 500 or a thousand? Because so, uh, you always seem to be doing webinars because you'd, you'd pop up saying, oh, Sarah's having a webinar with Chris Barrow or Practice Plan or Adam, you know, <laughs> you were there. You were the font of all wisdom. I, I recall on one occasion, um, I did um, I, I, I did webinar out, if that's the correct terminology, because one Thursday I started at nine o'clock and I had one on the hour every hour and didn't stop until nine o'clock in the evening. Um, and oh um, at nine o'clock I hardly speak. Um, my voice is just completely completely gone <laughs> uh, because it's not used to speaking so much coming from a place of what yeah but it's what you were saying about wanting to support the profession yeah you, know, you had a skill knowledge and information that was arguably one of the most critical things that were needed at that time mm. i think in the very early days i think lots of people were concerned about finance and and banking and money 
And because the banking sector supported the profession so well, most people got that sorted quite quickly. And then I think after that, it became an employment and HR issue mm. about, you know, um, you know, do you furlough people? If you do, what does that look like? Who should be coming in? If people aren't well, what, well, how do you manage that? You know, it was just endless. I think that employment and HR was a huge issue um, for businesses generally, but for the dental profession in terms of how to how to manage that. Well, it, it was it was more complicated for the dental industry because of the NHS. Um, so it, for other industries, it was straightforward. Do you furlough or not? Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, providing the right documentation to support that. But with the uh, dental industry, um, with the mixed practices um, with NHS and private, it was really complicated about whether you furlough or not or whether you take the money from the NHS and making sure that you satisfy the conditions. Mm-hmm. So there was an added layer that made it more difficult for the dentist. Um, and I think it's an interesting one because um, FTA law uh, taking part in a um, the public inquiry. Um, so there's a public inquiry going on in respect of mm. uh, COVID-19. Um, they are saying that it may last for four years. Um, we, we probably think that's a minimum because there are many industries that will have questions as to what happened over the pandemic. And what we want to do is represent the um all members of the dental team at that inquiry um, to try and get some of the answers to the questions we have. Uh, And, you know, why was it so complicated with the NHS private practices? Um, Why did they need to know that information? Um, And and so on. And hopefully we'll be able to make sure that we learn from the mistakes that happened over the pandemic and we'll be Mm. able to have some influence on public policy going forward. So that's quite exciting uh, from my Mm. perspective to be involved in that. Mm. And hopefully it will finalise or bring to an end um, some of the questions that we couldn't answer over the last two years. Mm. Is that that co- is it COVID nineteen alliance or something? Is that I've is that the thing That's that I've correct. seen on yeah, we, on the yeah. social media? Yeah. And and is there is yeah, there the input from the dental profession on this? How how do they find out about it? Absolutely. So um, at the moment, we've um, set up a steering committee, um, which has some representatives on from. Um, of the industry. So there are people representing um, hygienists and therapists, dental nurses, practice managers, and and so on. Um, And we've done that because we want to um, have a broad spectrum of, of, of information and opinions from people in the industry. Now, the stage that we're at at the moment is that we have to apply to have a seat at the inquiry. Um, and it, we will be we're working in conjunction with a QC, um, a barrister to to make that application. Um, and once we've got a seat at the table, so to speak, um, at that point, mm. we will be asking the industry for their opinions um, and um, asking them for any queries or questions that they want raising. Um, but wow. obviously, um, that's going to be structured how we do that. <laughs> so um, it, if, mm. if anybody's interested, it is exciting, you can sign isn't up it? on the website. It's really in- interesting. Um, and if, if people yeah, sign up definitely. on the website, keep getting updates about the, the public inquiry. 
What is the website, Sarah? So as people listening, watching. COVID-19 Alliance something. Go to FTA Law. I'm sure there'll be a link there. We'll put it in the, uh, we'll yes. put it in the notes yeah. on the episode. <laughs> we'll drop it in the notes, um, so that people can keep it and pick it up from there if they, if they want to. But it does. It, it sounds like a really, um, yeah. exciting initiative. And like you say, it's about learning what went on, what didn't go well. Mm. So hopefully we can put things in place so that going forward, heaven forbid something like this come around again. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't kind of, hit the reset button and just start again. We learn from what's gone on already. I suppose the exciting bit also might be if you can get a seat at the table, then for future discussions about mm. other stuff, you'll be mm. invited to to input and maybe comment upon. And I think that would be that would be fabulous, wouldn't it? You know, for what makes it very, very interesting, very exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's 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 going to be. I mean, from a personal opinion, it's a career highlight to be involved in something like this, mm. um, yeah. because it doesn't come across your desk very often. A public inquiry, um, but also, <laughs> I think um, it, it's 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 the icing on the cake from uh, for basically trying to finish off what we've been. Um, supporting the profession with over the last two years because people will still ask, yeah. why did the NHS need to know certain information? And I can't give them those answers, but hopefully that's the kind of thing we can mm. ask at the inquiry to try mm. and get to the bottom of. Um, yeah. So hopefully it will finalise or, or finish a lot of the, um, uh, give answers to a lot of the questions that are still left un uh, open and unanswered. That sounds like a really interesting piece it of does, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I wish you, wish you all yeah. the best of that. We'll keep an eye on how that, how that develops. Goes, yeah. so through, through the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk about uh, work-life balance. And I think particularly mm -hmm. in, in the first lockdown, yeah, going back to kind of March 20 through to June, a lot of people kind of reassessed what they wanted to do, how much they wanted to work. Um, and, and one we, and a half million people who've disappeared from the workforce. Yeah. They've obviously reassessing their work-life balance somewhere. <laughs> and and, it, and then it does seem to be a kind of a changing outlook. And I know that dentistry as a profession um, does offer great flexibility. You know, there's lots of people that work in the dental profession that, that work on a flexible or, or part-time basis. Um, this whole work-life balance, is it something that it was just talk at that time or – uh, has it impacted at your end in terms of talking to your clients about how to restructure employment packages with their teams? Is it is it a real thing? Are, are, are people looking to to, to rejig what their packages look like now? Um, yes, very much so. Um, I think. Well, I still get asked on a regular basis, "What should I pay my staff? What's the going rate? Um, what shall I pay my associates?" Um, and um, it, it's it's more than what the remuneration package is. Um, people look at, um, at at new jobs and new places, or, or or even retention, like staying where they are because mm. of what else is offered. And I, I refer to them as as, as as fringe benefits. It's like what else mm. can you bring that isn't um, just throwing money at people because mm. that's not what it's all about um, and yeah. when people do surveys 
they will look at other uh, salary never comes out top on why people re, um, remain with their team or remain employed at the place where they're at. Obviously, it, it's part of it. And if they're underpaid, um, yeah. that's not great. But we need to look at what else we can provide. So well-being is very much um, at the top of a lot of people's agendas at the moment. And you can look at providing benefits such as uh, gym membership, uh, personal training sessions, private health, um, even um, something such as knowing that you have a um, first mental health first aider within the team can really bring a lot of comfort to a, a, a team member okay. and make them feel as though they're very much well looked after. Um, um, it may be, I mean, you touched Andy there on flexibility. Um, that could be also something that as an employer, you may want to offer, um, in terms of providing more annual leave or unpaid leave. And um, so there's lots of other options that you can, um, provide as an employer to, to the team members. Mm. Um, I think people look at, um, corporate social responsibility. Um, what do you do as a charity? What do you do social, uh, charitable? Um, mm -hmm. what do you do, uh, for charity? Um, what do you do socially? Um, and so it's not all about the remuneration package. Um, I, I've been asked lately quite a lot to draft things such as, uh, bonus retention schemes. Um, so if you stay with me for 12 months, I'll then pay you a lump sum at the end of right. the 12-month period. Um, but my advice to clients, really, are they'll leave after the end of the 12 months yeah. instead of taking yeah. that amount because you're buying loyalty rather than earning loyalty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the risk is that they'll go at the end of it because you've got to look at what else you can provide as a, as an employer to the employees. Mm. Um, mm. That's not monetary. Mm. These broader package benefits yeah. that you've talked about, they they kind of effectively been around forever. They're not they're not new. They're things that people could have done two, three, five years ago. But has there been a, mm -hmm. a serious spike post COVID where people are now focusing very much more on some of the non financial aspects of a package? Uh, yes, very much so. I mean, well, mm. during the pandemic, the good work plan came into force, um, and that said. Um, that that was a change in legislation that stated that you have to list all your benefits within your employment contract. Um, before that, you could get away with providing benefits without it being set out in your, in your contract. So things that we, we often miss or um, in in the uh, as managers who are drafting these contracts are things like not putting in Christmas bonuses or um, free dental treatments, a big one, and um, that that's a benefit mm -hmm. to the team that they don't set out in the contract. So mm -hmm. to all our clients, we always ask, what are your benefits? What are you providing? And it's at the front of their mind because we, we have to now draft contracts in that way. But I think also mm -hmm. what has happened is during the pandemic, well-being um, has been something that people have focused on more Due to media, quite often, uh, the, 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 it seems to be something where um, we hear a lot more about it. There's a lot more cases in the employment tribunal about mental health because mental health is mm -hmm. can come within the definition of a disability. 
and therefore is protected characteristic and therefore you can have a discrimination claim made against you if you don't deal with mm-hmm. it in the right way. Um, so because of the mm-hmm. in, well. influx in cases and the and the the media that m- turns people's attention to it more. Um, so and mm. a lot of the team members are burned out. There's there's a lot of stress and anxiety, mm. yeah. and they're not they're not scared to raise this within the workplace. So what no. do we do about well being? What do we do? And that's why that has become a bigger issue. And and dealing with people, I suppose, and I think that's the. You know, I, this isn't a plug for you, but it sort of is. But that's why you need to have a Sarah in your team, mm. don't you, really? Because it is so <laughs> complex that, you know, you, you've, you've not just about the, the legal bits, but also how do you deal with someone mm. who, who raises an issue in your practice about, you know, a well-being issue that there's the possibility isn't there, that the, the principal dentist is like, pull yourself together. <laughs> don't yeah. be stupid yeah. just get over it but that then turns into something else and that's where you need to have sarah who sort of is there saying well hang on a minute before you open your mouth <laughs> yeah. just think about what you're going to say because i think that that's one of the things that whenever we've listened to you you know because obviously we've done lots of seminars with you and, and some of the webinars is that this thing about people having to consider what they respond rather than just respond in how they feel they would like to respond because it's not necessarily in their best interest. So respond rather than react. Yeah, 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 respond rather than react. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah, I think think so. Well, well, thank you for that. I think, yes, I don't think it's always recognised within the team when there's there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And that's where um, me and my team come in because we can recognise where there are issues and what needs to be done from a legal standpoint. I think also, I think a lot of practice owners and managers uh, are having to deal with um, stress, anxiety and burnout as well. And what we can do is help and support them. So, for example, uh, I have lots of clients who really struggle on the HR and employment side. Um, and what we do is we give them confidence and comfort to know that they're doing the right thing because we've already spoken about how fast moving it's been, how it's changed. And it's my full time job to keep up to date with mm. the changes and know what's going on. And as a manager or an employer, it's a very small element of what you've got to do during your day. Mm. So what we can do is we can take away that stress. Um, so not only do we help the team members who are uh, who who claim that they have well-being, mental health issues and help them support them and tell the employer what to do, but what we also do is help the employer with their stresses. So it's very much twofold mm. um, how we help our mm. clients. You must at times act like almost um, a confidant, uh, a partner because one of the things we always say is that we're very lucky that there's two of us whereas a sole practitioner you know who do they turn to if only just to sort of like try and get some sense Mm. into something so you must end up with almost sort of agony aunt is not quite the the right phrasing but you must become another almost like a silent partner sometimes in their businesses really 
Oh, absolutely, because it's it's much bigger than just the employment and HR. Um, I can, I, mm. I mean, I do like to go and see clients um, as much as I can, and and, and go and um, see their dental practices and 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 a spot of lunch or, or coffee with them. Um, but if I can, and we're on Zoom most of the time or on um, over the phone, um, you know, I can take. It could be a good hour. Um, and it's not just about the HR and employment elements. It's about mm. the business and the other elements and the, the leadership challenges, I suppose, that, that they're mm. facing. Um, and we try and help as much as possible with, with those. Mm. Because I think what we have is the experience because we have over um, um, 150 clients on a HR and employment service. We get to know what all those different clients are mm. doing yeah. or yeah. what they're doing. <laughs> And it's not that we breach confidentiality at all, but it's just that we get a good feel for what's going on in the profession so that we can speak about, you know, you're not mm. the only one that this is happening yeah, to. Yeah, um, this is happening. And that, that's a lot of comfort to people because, like you say, it, it can be lonely being a, uh, mm. a practice mm. owner. Oh, yeah, I think knowing somebody else is in that situation yeah. is, is hugely comforting. Just out of interest, Sarah, do you spend more of your time getting your clients out of problems <laughs> or more of your time putting in place strategies to prevent those problems occurring in the first place? Um, most of our time is uh, is spent with the uh, the prevention element of right. it. Um, so the strategies, the policies, the procedures, the contracts, and holding their hand through a difficult HR mm. um, situation to prevent from um, it escalating into a dispute. Because the last thing I really want for my clients is to end up in the employment tribunal mm. because it's time consuming, it's costly, and it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> our jobs as being um, the preventers of that happening as much as we can. We can't always, um, but the majority of the time I feel as though we uh, put our clients in the best position possible um, to prevent that from happening. Mm. Yeah, which makes, yeah. Which, 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 I always see you as a safe pair of hands. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't surprise me that, that was your answer because that's a, a good way of delivering a service. And also, I think dentists on the whole, they're, they're good people who try to do the right thing. Um, and logically, it would make sense to put in place a good infrastructure, which then will minimise the risk of problems coming as yeah, opposed definitely. to just being reckless and then dealing with them as they, as they come up. Um, your, your your own profile, Sarah. Over over lockdown in particular, you you're now officially the employment and HR queen of dentistry. It's an official thing. It's a it's a real badge of honour out there. So we we're, in the, of, we're in the presence of royalty. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the queen. <laughs> but but so, so, social media will build your profile. <laughs> it's all right. We can edit it back to normal colour. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But, 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 but social media and building a profile in dentistry is a big thing. You know, there's lots of people who mm -hmm. I know, lots of dentists who, who've built a business on the back of Instagram. Um, your profile exploded. So there's, I think for me, there's two things in there. One, um, was there kind of a, a plan beyond just providing insights and support to the profession? And two, 
How did you feel about that? Because when you start getting exposure and profile, mm. when you go to events, people start recognizing you. So you've gone from being somebody who's done yeah. your work for the last 10 years to somebody who people start recognizing, going, I, I know that, that's Sarah Buxton over there. How, how, did, how did those things feel? Um, well, to deal with the first question, I, it, it wasn't, there wasn't really a plan in place. <clears throat> um, I think I, um, was invited, um, by, and I think it's appropriate to, uh, to acknowledge Chris Barrow, um, mm. who invited me to do, um, some Facebook lives initially, um, when the pandemic started. Um, and every Monday I would sit with Chris on Facebook and we would get questions thrown at us um and at, at one point i think we had about 5000 people join us on facebook live and um then of course we've already touched on the amount of webinars and it wasn't that there was there was such a plan i just felt as though this is what i had to do hmm. um to help um and then from that um obviously people um, became very socially savvy. And um, so there was lots going on in Facebook groups and on Instagram. Mm. And uh, again, it was appropriate because I felt as though I could help um, on some of those groups on Facebook because um, I remember reading things like um, um, things about holiday entitlement and then somebody had copy and paste some legislation from Australia and say this is what you need to do and I'm like no, no. Take advice because that's not quite right or um, they've, you know that that's that's what we used to do in the 80s but we don't do that anymore so just take advice before you go any further so again I think people were looking for answers. And um, so it felt appropriate to have a Facebook fire, a profile, an Instagram fire, a pro profile. Um, so uh, we set those up. Um, and it was a way of, of getting information out there. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about um, updating people, which we do, uh, which I do via the social media channels. Um, to deal with the second uh, point about uh, the profile being raised, um, and being recognised, it is quite strange in so much that obviously they uh, clients and have seen you, um, and some people see you um, every other Thursday on a business mm. confidence forum, and you may have spoken spoken to them or answered their question, mm. um, and they see that as being very personal, but you can't see them mm. um they're just a name um so it's quite quite often i will be at a trade show or out and about and people do come and approach me um and usually they're saying thank you and it, it you know it, it's very nice um, to, to think that you've helped them um i have had one situation where I was on the phone to a practice manager and she got very excited um, and started screaming down the phone, oh my gosh, it's Sarah Buxton, and went and got the practice owner <laughs> just to come on to say hello to me. Um, they were like, we can't believe Sarah Buxton has phoned us. Um, and that was a bit it, like, oh, okay. Celebrity. Uh, she, Celebrity Buxton. <laughs> 
but, but also that's that's the that's but also that's the impact you've had, isn't it? That you know, and you're, and you're right. You're you're pushing out so much content information. You, you know, there will be other people out there that will have really benefited from it, uh, which is a lovely thing to hear. Okay, yeah, it makes you feel a little bit odd, but it's it's, it's a lovely bit of feedback too. Yeah, it's nice. And I have no issues with it. I actually think it's it's quite nice, especially if you're approached, because quite often I will remember their situation or the, their question yeah. Um, yeah. because everybody's unique and got their own issue. Um, so I, I can mm. actually relate to them. And it's always nice to put a face to a name because I literally see, mm. see names. Yeah. And like I say, I, we I, I will see the same names over and over again on a lot of webinars mm, and, mm. and forums. So it's lovely. I, I've got no problem mm. with people approaching me. The next step, Sarah, is you've got to sort out your autograph. Because obviously that's the, that would be your next step. Could you autograph my T-shirt? <laughs> has to be a very simple one, very quickly <laughs> done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you, uh, could you, you autograph my employment contract? <laughs> on 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 a business side of things sarah are there any um are there any big employment or hr issues coming down the line that that business owners need to be aware of because i feel now we kind of come into the the end of the whole kind of pandemic covid it it, it feels like we are in kind of going back to business as usual but aside from that are, are there any things that business owners need to be aware of that are coming coming at us over the next year or so yeah, well, I think for um, for dentists, they need to be um, aware of the issue. That's uh, well, it's something that I've always advised on, but I think we're aware there's, that there's been some changes in respect of self-employed worker and employee status, huh. mm-hmm. um, and that is still something that I think people need to draw their attention to. I still come across practices that don't have any agreements in place or are treating wow. their associates like employees and trying to make them self-employed. And I think that is something that we do need to look at because there has been some changes in respect of um, tax, there was the Uber taxi case and also vicarious liability. So whether you're responsible for the clinical mm. treatment of your self-employed team members. So the, there's a, been a lot of changes there and I think that will continue. Um, so I think that's something that as a manager or employer, we need to be aware of. Um, and and the, there are the general employment updates. Every April, there's an increase in the amount of statutory payments um, that have to be made. So statutory sick, maternity, paternity, adoption, all that will increase in April of this year. Um, and also um, there's there's going to be a, a focus on things such as, I think, huge focus on mental well-being. And I think that includes, mm-hmm. I've seen quite a lot um, in the, the legal news about menopause and what that means in the workplace and whether that should be something um, that's protected and and how we deal with menopause in the workplace. Um, so I think that's right. something that um, we may, may need to be looking at going forward. Um, but also there's still the things such as um, we haven't really touched on what's going to happen um, with some of the legislation um, post-Brexit um, because post-Brexit mm-hmm. they said they may have working time regulations and since Brexit, um, they've been incredibly busy with the pandemic, so they've not really looked at <laughs> yeah. any 
legislation that they said they would look at. So I think there are a lot mm. more changes to come. Um, and I think mm. back end of this year, I think we'll see a lot, a lot. Um, mm. So we'll be back where we started, weren't we? Trying to catch up with it all and what's busy times. Busy well, times. I was going to say, I think that just reinforces mm. everything that we've been saying, which is it's a really fast moving, ever changing part of the law. Um, I mean, you just rattled off five or six different things there that, you know, uh, and then you get brand new things like, the, you know, dealing with the menopause. And it's so costly if you get it wrong. I think yeah. that's the thing people don't yeah. look at is they need to look at the fact of it's not so much the cost of getting it right, but you should get it right anyway. But it's it's the cost of getting it wrong. Mm. I know when you tell about Sarah about some of those tribunal awards for things that, seem relatively minor and i don't mean that rudely but they you end up some guy paying thousands tens of thousands of pounds when really they could have sorted it out if they'd have actually given mm. it the attention it deserved at the beginning rather than hoping they'd get away with it or whatever i don't know it's fascinating yeah mm. quite often and, and i think i think it's important to know that when a dispute happens um, quite often it can be resolved by either rectifying what you've done. So if the procedure has been incorrect, we can rectify it and do the correct thing or by an, apolo- an apology um, if you if you do something mm-hmm. wrong. Um, and people miss that. Um, and a lot of my advice is, have you had a conversation? Have you done uh, go back and let's let's speak to them and it may be a difficult conversation but let's start there because actually we can resolve a lot of issues mm. by good communication um and i think again this is we're, we're coming back to the point that this is where uh, we can help the team members or, or work together in that way and make sure that it's working right. Even if you have messed up, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end mm. up in the employment tribunal. And what we can do is help with mm. that. Yeah, cool. <coughs> Sarah, it's been it's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed it. It's been, yeah, it's, yeah, been, it's been fascinating. Like I, said, I think to hear <laughs> um, what your last couple of years has been like, because this has been eye-opening in terms of you know the, the, the hours that you put in and trying to share. So I imagine it's probably easing up a bit for you. It's not quite a quiet time for you, but it's probably getting slightly easier than it has been for the last couple of years. We always finish up um, asking our guests the same two questions, just to get a little insight from mm-hmm. them. Um, if you could be a fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation, what what situation would you like to look in on and observe on um i think um this uh, well with this one i think i'd I'd like to have been a fly on the wall when the uh, result of the referendum the brexit referendum came in at number 10 um i think it would have been really interesting to um see the reaction of david cameron at the time because i don't think it was Mm. expected by anybody um and I, i just remember the following day going into the office and it was kind of quiet like people were shocked mm. and i think whether whatever you v- voted it didn't really matter i just felt as though mm. there was like this it, it was quite tense and so i can't imagine what it must have been like in number 10 um, when that result came in so i think it mm. would have been really interesting to see what the reactions were there was, um, there was shock that, i think wasn't there yeah mm. Mm, yeah, I don't think yeah like you said, I think on, on, on both sides, <clears throat> no. Not at all. Yeah. No, not at all. Not <laughs> so at all. And, then, and, then, and then our last question, 
And, and our last question is, if you could meet somebody, uh, who would you like to, to meet, given the opportunity? Living or dead, fictional or fact, so uh, whoever you fancy, really. Oh, um, do you know, I, I would really like to meet uh, Baroness Karen Brady. Um, I think she is um, oh. a very strong woman. Um, I think she represents a strong businesswoman. Um, I think she's extremely... Um, um, she's just somebody who I think for my, I, I would look up, to, I look up to. I think she's a strong leader. Um, and I think she's, um, I've read her, her books. Um, and they're all very good and they're all very empowering for, for female business leaders. So, um, I would definitely like to meet mm. Karen Brady if I could, but I'd probably have to apply for the apprentice or oh, something. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah. Is, she still, is she still on The Apprentice? I don't watch The Apprentice anymore. Is she, is she still yeah, on the, yeah. the panel? Don't yeah, know. I don't know. She, she is. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what's fascinating. Though. I don't know how many of these we've done. We've never had two people the same. No. It is, it is brilliant. No, no guest has ever said, I wish I was the fly on the wall in so-and-so. Yeah. And I would like to meet so-and-so. It's, it's, it just shows the diversity of people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Love it. Exactly. Well, Sarah, that was wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. I know you're still incredibly busy, so we really appreciate your time yeah, thank today. thank you for your time. Uh, but it's been really, really enjoyable. Really, really enjoyable. Much. Cheers. Thank you so much. Wow, Sarah Buxton's had a busy couple of years, hasn't she? Oh, hugely. Hugely. You know, that, that furlough, you know, furlough <clears throat> launches to the the world yeah. and then suddenly they're having to answer questions on it left right and center and i suppose also when you think the practices were shut mm. the principals had a load of time yeah. <laughs> to think about stuff and worry i think about the thing stuff. that's really impressive is you know we know that lawyers like to know um the details they want the i's and the t's crossed before they kind of form an opinion or say something whereas sarah was quite unusual in that she was prepared to put herself out you know, based on, you know, legislation that came out on a Friday, she was prepared yeah. to talk about it that day yeah. or the next day and kind of give her insights and, and share where she saw the direction going, which I know the profession took huge value from their family, incredibly comforting that there was somebody with her specialist knowledge supporting them. And I think she has great confidence in her to be able to do it. And mm. it would be interesting how many webinars did she do? You know, that one when she was saying nine till nine. I mean, that is a long day. Isn't yeah. It? That's yeah. like, you know, if you think about a performer goes on and sings for two hours mm. or something, you know, that's a long, long And day. to her credit, she's put in the hard yards. And, you know, we joke about the, the, the queen of, you know, the, the employment HR queen of dentistry. But she is. She's carved that niche. That's yeah. her That's Definitely. her position. Um, and, she's done brilliantly. And she used really, to go really to brilliant. for it. That was a really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Yeah, it was Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.